Welcome to episode 22 of What's the Chakkar? My name is Karan Madhok and I'm the editor and co-founder of The Chakkar. Thechakkar.com is an Indian arts review, a celebration of India's artistic creativity, where we publish writing on Indian music, film, literature, theatre, art, sports and more. We also publish creative work like poetry, fiction, photography, original art, etc. In this episode, I will interview a number of guests on recent trends in music, literature and film and TV from India and abroad. In conversation today with Shasta Vaishnav, Adi Manral, and Samir Kumar, we will discuss books by Shriana Bhattacharya and Otessa Moshfeg, celebrate the musical brilliance of Blackstrap Blues, and review the Netflix true crime series Indian Predator. So strap in and let's go around the chakra. So Shasta Vaishnav joins us once again. Shasta, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. And um, we discussed th- this one book. You have been talking about this book. It's like a movie release. Like your, you know, it's like a big Marvel. The new Avengers is about to come. And, and you've been hyping up the day you will talk about Desperately Seeking Shahrukh. Yes. I've heard so much about this book. I'm ceding the stage to you. Tell me everything about it. Why this book was so important. Wow. Okay. So um, but I've written down an order that I would li- would have liked to go in. But I'm just going to like... You know, yeah, yeah. Just go with your instincts. Yeah. Okay. So, um, when I when I I mean, actually, this book was gifted to me by my best friend who stays in Canada, and and he doesn't he doesn't know much about the books he gives me because he doesn't read them. But he had probably read a review. But when I first got it, I was a little annoyed. I was like, why has he given me a book on Shah Rukh Khan? Like, does he think I'm that? Does he think I'm that? flu like whatever you know I don't know I'm not the kind of book to a uh, person to read a book on celebrities or maybe I am because I have read Karan Johar's book and stuff but in any case I thought this was like a floozy light book he sent me so he was like no you should read it and you should really see it's not it's not that so when I started reading it I realized it's definitely not a book it's not a biography a- of Shah Rukh Khan no, yeah. no not at all it's like really far away from that it is a feminist book written by an economist. So Shrayana Bhattacharya herself is an economist. And she has been studying, uh, you know, in the, the plight, I would say, of Indian women in the last 20 years, you know, in her various organizations like Seva and everything like that. And she has packed this book with facts and figures that are shocking. Okay. So the way she's gone about it is she uh, herself is a Shah Rukh fan. And the way she's gone about it is she's interviewed a multitude of Shah Rukh fans across India. And this, all women. Yeah, all women. This, mm-hmm. this goes across caste and class and, you know, from different regions of India. Mm-hmm. And she sort of told their stories. But the one thing that unites all of them is Shah Rukh. Because, you know, and, and I, I could really relate. Because, of the see, I wouldn't call myself like a super fan. But I'm definitely a Shah Rukh fan. Like, I've seen all his films. We've grown up with Shah Rukh, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like there was a time when I remember like maybe in the sixth or seventh standard when my best friend had watched DDLJ and I hadn't yet watched it. And mm-hmm. she came and narrated the entire <laughs> film to me scene by scene, yeah, dialogue yeah. by dialogue. And <laughs> still remember it so clearly. And the thing is because for us in the age of these action heroes, it was an anomaly to find mm-hmm. somebody who we felt 
uh, who we felt like he, he would he was treating women with respect mm-hmm. you know so there's a quote here that says salman rescues or protects amir mm-hmm. teaches sharuk sees sharuk sees mm-hmm. us and i feel like indian women feel seen by sharuk which comes which brings us to the fact that no one else sees us Mm. nobody else does because everybody else in this book and in general is suffering it literally the 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 subhead reads india's lonely young women and the search for Indo- india's lonely young women and the search for intimacy and independence mm. so so sharuk has spoiled us because we think that everybody should see us like sharuk does instead we are saddled with the this patriarchal mm. uh, country where and i'm not like it's not it it's it cuts across you know class and it doesn't matter whether you're in a fancy delhi living room or whether you're in a small you know chawl in ahmedabad but the fact is that she's gone through all these women's lives and the kind of shackles they've had to or they're dealing with you know mm-hmm. and it's really really interesting you won't believe the kind of statistics you come across in this book karan the statistics of unemployment okay how many women we think are employed in india it's it's shocking like The, the the amount of women who are depressed the amount of women who are abused raped and all that i won't even get into that's like regular news but uh but it's just it, so she's done the math in that sense the uh, the whole uh, the statistical bit of it and um, she really tells some very hard truths so this book was actually it made me very angry like i i remember i was supposed to go for these like singles parties and meet men and all of that and i was like i don't want to meet men i don't want to meet men right now because you know like i read this book and i was like no or there's nobody if, like, if sharukh khan isn't there what's the point right yeah, <laughs> so sad yeah karan because uh even sharukh khan it's not i mean if he as a real man has so many flaws right yes. it's not sharukh khan it's the idea of it's it's, it's the idealism of of someone yeah, who mm. exactly like we know now we've seen his flaws i'm sure like mm. all his affairs whatever right he's not mm. a perfect guy mm-hmm. but the fact is like so she's cleverly like you know uh, right from bazigar right from actually dilashna hai his first film to his latest one so she and all sharuk fans have, are not a fan of his action avatar of all these new ones that he's done which you know people mm. watch because they are his fans but they don't love it so everybody wants that romantic hero back you know like she's talked about everything in the film he did called zero or his all his interviews his song during the lockdown this is a fairly recent book so mm-hmm. it's like uh, it covers i think up to 2020 or 21 it's just so eye opening like you won't believe there are certain things that are so interesting she's done a, a survey like a review kind of thing of female voices in films okay in the decades mm-hmm. and female voices like basically how many dialogues are allocated to to women right whether it's a mother or a side character or a heroine or whatever it is mm-hmm. and sharuk films have the most number of female voices and by a large margin are we talking the amount of time a woman speaks or the diversity of women speak or like the number of women speaking no the amount of time and mm-hmm. number basically mm-hmm. like what what percentage of the uh, of the film has a woman speaking and by a large margin mm-hmm. it's sharuk film whether it's zara whether it's veer zara whether it's mm-hmm. ddlj or mai hu na or whatever it is mm-hmm. everything else is like 9% like a salman film would be 9% and you're like obviously right like they, it's not made for us 
Mm. You know, they they think it's made for us, but it's not made for us. So there's a reason why Shahrukh rose to where he has because there's something about him that makes us feel not so lonely. You know, and I'm talking about women who are otherwise very lonely. Like she's mm. talked about women who have to like hide his posters under their beds, under their mattresses. Otherwise, their husbands and all will be pissed that they are fangirls. <laughs> like they they put every rupee rupee aside mm. to buy it. the set of his music mm. you know and i'm like yeah, sharuk is the only companion in sad sad times and again like i said the idea of sharuk you know so that's the plight of us today and i just felt like this is such an important book to read like i it's definitely a difficult read i won't say it's a quick fun you know you, it takes time you have to get through it it's it's jam packed with statistics to such an extent that your head will start swimming because and each statistic is more shocking than the other like i was really shocked about the unemployment rate of women and after the lockdown after covid uh even more women have like not joined back like they haven't joined the workforce again and you're just like wow so the i think the current employment rate for indian women is 17% 17 which is horrible right like there are a lot of different things um So, so so this is a feminist novel but in that sense her approach to feminism is a little different like she doesn't like these rampages okay so she says that feminism should be intimate revolutions that happen in living rooms okay it's not about a hashtag it's not about these rampages it's not about smashing the patriarchy that's not actually going to make a difference what's going to make a difference is these intimate revolutions conversations you know the difficult stuff the difficult conversations and uh that was pretty interesting as well so um like if you go on to goodreads and all you'll see people have reacted to that so and there's a fairly detailed article as well i think it's in the hindu if i'm not mistaken but um there's a nice article as well about this book like very detailed so so yeah i would say everybody should read it you have to have some interest in hindi cinema and non fiction and indian because she has uh, delved into his films like as you know just as a maybe like a timeline and yeah. maybe to draw certain parallels so she's done that quite well but uh, i'm a sharuk fan so i enjoyed it i i i like the idea that she she, she kind of um Jedi mind tricks people into like thinking you're reading a sharuk book but but also you're you're getting all this knowledge almost yeah. by accident like it's yes. like you're you know you, you, and and I, and i and i like the idea of mixing entertainment it's it's entertaining to to learn about how people react to sharuk khan we all grew up in sharuk khan peak era to learn about the reactions to sharuk is it is entertaining but also from what the sounds of it it sounds like she's also like sneaking in a lot of education when you least it's it's like having a, a fun teacher who you know you know you don't know you're learning You you kind of learning by accident, right? <laughs> That's so true. That's so true because I have sent this book after that to so many people, like you know, to my friends and to my family. And then I, when I told my best friend, you know, you inadvertently sent me something which was fabulous. And of course, he claims to always have known, but mm-hmm. I think he sent it to me as a joke, like oh, desperately seeking Shahrukh or whatever. But maybe he did know also. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like you know, I mean, it's it's. I felt like one percent more intelligent after reading this book. <laughs> Seriously, like I feel, I I have so many like follow up questions about this because you know, um, like like Shahrukh Khan was such a force of nature to every Indian, especially if we came of age in the nineties, right? Um, during the DDLJ, Basigar, Dar, Kolkata, Hota Hai, like sort of era, you know. 
and and you mentioned like how your friend knew every line from the DLJ. It's true because back in those days, if a film comes out, everyone watches the same film, and th- that is our entertainment for. We will think about that one movie for months. You know, it's happened. Like I remember, uh, Bazigar was the first film that my elder brother and I went to see uh, independently yeah. without parents. So we actually went uh-huh. to the cinema hall to watch it, and it was like so. So the, so many markers in our life are are put there by you know these ninety Shahrukh Khan movies. Exactly. Um, like remember the kuch kuch hota hai cool chain. Like it became a huge deal, right? Like kuch kuch hota hai became like a cult. Everybody wanted to be Tina, and you know, like have that. <laughs> it was just that dress, and it was crazy. Kuch kuch hota hai. I mean, for me as a basketball fan, it it is the the most important. Basketball film in India ever made. Like that's what people think about uh, Rahul and Anjali playing one on one. You know. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of like an Archie's comics inspired, yeah. like the the Betty Veronica Archie kind of thing going on with, uh, with the three of them. But yeah. but 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 you brought up a very interesting point about how uh, his fans kind of turned off him. I didn't turn off him, but the, the movies where he's trying to be the protector. I love that quote by the way. The Salman protects you. Uh, mm-hmm. Amir educates you. Yeah. Shahrukh sees you. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, Akshay looks amazing. down at you. Like, <laughs> extend <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, he's not even in the running. Like, paid um, person. But I love that quote because it made me think about when, when Shahrukh does do try to do the the educator or the protector, it has failed because he's he, a he can't pull it off, and b that's not really his. That's no, not what people are going to watch him for. No, but having said that, Chakde and Swades both did pretty decently when he was sort of the educator. But this action thing, he can't do. Like this being the Salman, nobody wants to see Shahrukh because we have we have our you know Tiger Shroffs and whoever yeah, else. I don't yeah. know whoever these people are. Right? No one wants to see Salman in like a, a RoboCop kind of whatever yeah, that film yeah. was. You know, uh, Rav One or whatever that was. Like it's. It's not going to work. Yeah. Even zero, zero was such a flop. But of course, Shyana has said it's a great film, and she really enjoyed it mm-hmm. in the in the book. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think anyone wants to see Shahrukh as anything other than the romantic hero. Yeah. You know. And, so. And I feel the other thing he unlocked, in, you know, as you were talking about this, because I remember, uh, funnily enough, it was Salman's uh, the Salman movie, Usman Khan, Khan that sort of started mm. in my mind that the whole idea of like uh, movies without like overt violence, like movies which are just based on like you know before that Bollywood films were they try to be everything for everybody. So yeah. you're gonna you're gonna have romance, you're gonna have violence, you're gonna have someone's sister is gonna get molested, and then this guy goes on this rampage for revenge. You know? <laughs> yeah, like this was sort of the <laughs> the late eighties, early nineties story, or it's gonna be like a love struck Romeo and Juliet situation. You know, like Kayamat uh, se Kayamat tak, or like many pyar kia for yeah. that matter. I think that was the turning point, and then Hamap ke Hakon yeah. came, which was the real, you know. But it was like, wait, this is a hit movie without any fighting, but the hero is not a tough guy. And I think so. So it was ironic that the Salman kind of was among the starters, and then he left it behind. He found that's true. Um, actually, you're right because uh, Salman, and I remember that was the time I liked Salman. That was the time I actually used to equate Salman, Amir, Shahrukh. Kind of in the same, like the whole andaz apna apna time, or maybe even, um, you know, this the Salman's older films. Basically, there was so much more fun to watch, right? Yeah. And Amir's as well. Like if you see Hamera hi pyar ke and all, where he was yeah. not this uh, tare zameen par person. Wait, he wasn't tare zameen par. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was a teacher in tare zameen par. Yeah. 
yeah 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 so mm-hmm. that's what i mean like when he was not that person it was so much more entertaining yeah and i and i feel like shahrukh khan sort of unlocked it in india nobody was make saying this this movies for women or this movies for men it's like every movie was for the entire family it had to be because there were so few choices I, I, it's shahrukh khan and karan johar and yash chopra and all of these guys they sort of like unlocked the idea of like hey want to make movies that like women will also enjoy they don't all have exactly. to be about like a murderous revenge plot <laughs> in the village right uh, exactly. and, and what turned out to be that all the men enjoy those movies too so it so like every guy i know is also obsessed with ddlj kuch kuch hota hai if you have been through that generation but they will not admit it they will not like openly admit it i love kuch kuch hota hai i don't think any guy apart from maybe you karan is going to say that i don't know i don't love kuch kuch hota hai either but i was obsessed with it because what else were we going to do in, in that in, yeah 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 it, it was like for us um, especially ddlj and kuch kuch hota hai are films that are not objectively good movies but if i rewatch them i enjoy it because it's just like it's nostalgia exactly. right um it, it's nostalgia i mean to to be honest when i when i see kuch kuch hota today i can't stand some of the scenes i just forward them i'm like what yeah. is going on but uh, <laughs> as such like it's it's i i now prefer kabhi khushi kabhi gham like i would i oh, think no. that's more watchable i, I think that part ways that's the I'm worst telling, movie oh my I'm god you, if you watch it now it it kind of it uh, it it has more uh, what's the word for it like it um, it has more staying value in that sense like i feel kabhi khushi kabhi gham is still watchable whereas mm. kuch kuch hota is not okay like because maybe there's rithik and karina mm. maybe there are lot of other line yeah. tracks going on maybe mm. that's why i don't know but okay i feel like it's slightly more watchable for me the further like the the, the more that that is added to the sharuk kajol like core crux relationship the worse the movie becomes because i've noticed like it, 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 it everything else becomes like the fluff so that's the so the last thing i want to talk about and this is something that's hard to explain to people who may not have grown up in india or grown up in like the culture around sharuk is that he was not actually considered classically good looking like he was just yeah. considered like his looks were considered to be just like guy of the street you know almost guy of the street and and yet for him to become so beloved i think it confused a lot of men to be honest they were like wait i thought women were looking for a salman khan type salman. Yeah. yeah like why are women desperately seeking this guy you know yeah. and and i feel a book like this gives an idea to like why because it's like you, you can't you can't put all you can't put all the women seeking thing in the same box right it's it's like different things for different people and exactly and i think it's a, a lot of this book also alludes to sharuk's intelligent no mm-hmm. uh, intelligence not as a movie star as a person okay so even his interviews and maybe in the way he speaks and all somewhere he is made women feel seen mm-hmm. okay somewhere women feel like this guy gets us it's a combination of his he, his roles or uh, you know the what he's like how he's portrayed and how he uh, sort of comes off in interviews how he speaks to people and it's a combination of everything so mm-hmm. everybody is sort of said like slotted him in their heads as this is this person is intelligent he gets mm-hmm. me Mm-hmm. so i feel like that's that's what what has happened mm-hmm. and it's totally overridden the looks bit of it you know yeah, like yeah. Uh, when another f- movie which is i think my by far my favorite charuk movie is that uh, uh, with k where he doesn't get the girl in the end that's the movie <laughs> where he has a where, where he's a cheater where he's having an affair yeah, yeah, no, yeah i'm talking about the back in the day this was that 
Uh, so Lapfona, this came out a few months ago, and it's like the most different of any of the novels she's done. I actually got a chance to see her in person. I was there for like a Q and A where she for her like um, her novel launch event here in DC, um, and she was like interesting. And she so she's kind of become like a, you know when when you become that famous, you're bound to be polarizing, and she's she has become a polarizing author. Um, and of course, like a lot of famous authors are polarizing now because you know for, they might say or write something or which might get them quote unquote cancelled. But for her, I feel like the I feel maybe some maybe someone has done deeper research in this. I feel the more polarizing part comes from is that she's kind of obsessed with um, just the grossest thing and like the ugliness of people. She's like really obsessed with like not giving you a silver lining. Like for example, we talk about Kabiha Kabina, <laughs> where he said like. Like like Shahrukh is a loafer, but but there's a but, and there are things that are charming and likable, and that yeah. that redeem him, you know. Or Tessa really doesn't want to give you that redemption because she's like the world doesn't redeem me. Like the the world is filled with terrible people, you know. Um, <laughs> wow. So she sort of like she she takes any situation and finds the least appealing way to deal with it. There's always a lot of literal shit involved in her in her novels, like actual excrement. Uh, there's always blood and crime and characters who are like, as I mentioned, they're ugly on the inside and the outside both, you know. Um, I remember she was asked, she's been asked before many times about like her, why her characters are so unlikable. And like her first comment was kind of like, that's actually a very like sexist thing to say because you're, because they're women, they're, they're unlikable. You're, you're finding that uncomfortable whereas compared to having like unlikable men who become anti-heroes, so to say. Um but the, I think the bigger problem was she. She said I, I, she just. She said I find most people unlikable in general. So I'm just gonna. That's how I, I see it in fiction. So, anyways, uh, Lapona is kind of like unlike anything she's written. You know, all her books otherwise are about contemporary. You know, America now and here stories. Uh, this one is about a fictional uh, fiefdom called Lapona. Um, very briefly, it's about a young boy named Marek who accidentally or not accidentally kills his cousin. And his cousin is like the son of the rich lord of this fiefdom. This is medieval times. Um, and, and this rich lord, his name, his name is William. He's this guy who's just a mess. Who, all he wants to do is have a lot of snacks and be entertained day in, day out. You know, um, Sort of like cut himself off from reality. So William, after losing his own son, he reacts to it by saying, you know what, I'm going to substitute my son with you. So he takes Marek as his son. I'm not going to tell, like, it's just, there are a lot of characters and the story takes just weird, dark corners from there on on. There are like famines, there are murders, there's cannibalism, there's that terrible overlord, you know, there's uh, people plotting all sorts of revenge and, you know, everyone is a little bit nasty. <laughs> but but it's just, it's a hell of a story. So, um, yeah, it's actually doing, I, I mean, I see it in every bookshop out here in the States. So, uh, um. It's, it's it is it is quite a popular book. Um, this uh, is a factor of our low attention spans that to grab attention you need to be grotesque, like you need to be so um, graphic and you know like to sort of imprint something on a reader's mind because or anybody's mind because we're like bombarded with so much mm -hmm. stimulus all the time. So this is one way of standing out. Do you think it could be that because there's no reason to otherwise be so grotesque? I don't know. I feel you know like how everyone like every author has their obsessions, you know, some kind of literary obsession, some kind of like symbolism that they're really into. I, I write about drinking chai a lot. I, I, I realized that recently, like it's not, it, I realized that's like a literary obsession for me. For her, it seems to be like just 
assholes. And I mean assholes as in the literal asshole and people who are assholes, you know? So it's like, it, I, I, I can't say if, if it's a short attention span thing because you do need to pay attention to her stories. They, they, they are, they will challenge you, you know? For, for me, it's a, the larger issue was like, I, I, I like authors who don't give you what everyone expects you to, to have, you know? Like, I, I don't like formulaic work. A lot of, obviously, genre fiction is by its definition formulaic. But a lot of literary fiction, it doesn't really take the risks that I wish it did, especially like the risks that I love about fiction that I was growing up in. And she mm. takes risks. So I like, I, I respect that about her. Even when she fails, even when like she gets hated for it or when she like flops badly, I, I respect the fact that she she's trying something different. That's nice. I mean, your descriptions are reminding me of this novel I read last year called The Discomfort of Evening. Mm. Um, it's it's one of those very, very uncomfortable books mm. that are sort of talking about the asshole a lot. I don't know. That's yeah. that's why you, yeah. uh, that's why it reminded me of it. Um, the Discomfort of Evening. It, it's, again, one of these award-winning books. So probably it's also that. It's like you're saying they're writing about something they love and it's, they're doing it so well. Or not love, but something they're passionate about, and they're yeah. doing it so well that it stays with you. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't recommend this to her work to everyone, but like, I think mm. I think if you want to start with my year of rest and relaxation, because that yeah. book is it is, and that definitely has its gross out moments too. Um, but but it's really? it, yeah, it's it's disgusting in some ways. But it's it's kind of like it. But she's also so funny. Like honestly, I, I find her like in a very dark, twisted way. I find I, I find it very funny. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, Shasta, thank you for th- this long conversation. We thank spoke, you. We spoke a lot today. We spoke about Desperately Seeking Sharok by yeah. uh, Shriana Bhattacharya and Lapvona by Otessa Moshweg. Thank you so much for joining me again. And um, I'll thank catch you, you next Kara. month. Ari Manral joins us from Landor. Ari, how are you doing? It's been great, Karan. Thanks. Yeah, we've been doing quite well, listening to music. How how have you been? I have to start off by letting you know that all of my dreams came true this week. Because I saw... Yes, of course. I I, saw, I know. I saw Rage Against the Machine in concert in DC. I've That's been, crazy. I've been a fan of this band, you know, for like almost 25 years now. I don't know how long it's been. And it's been almost that long of, you know, them almost being broken up for most of this time, for most of these last 20, right. 25 years. So there yeah. was they, uh, every single concert video, every single thing I'd seen as a youngster. Mm. I was like, these guys look like the best band live ever. They were already my favorite yeah. band, but also they look the best live. And I, I thought I would never get to see them because they had broken up. Yeah. But dreams do come true. Yeah. I saw them live. It and, is, uh, it is. Uh, it is one of those dream bands. You know, some of these heavyweights of arena, you know, holding an arena. They're just all... It's all very dreamy to think that, you know, we could be part of that audience. And um, it's crazy that you were part of that audience. And, um, you know, Rage Against uh, is is doing a world tour at this point. Um, very, very crazy to think. And then just talking about heavyweights and thinking just prior to this, uh, our, our conversation now, and you had mentioned Pearl Jam, which which probably is going to be coming to, India. Coming to is, India. Is that right? Yes. I think, I mean, that seems to be the news because the the... the Lollapalooza, wow. Lala Palaja, uh, however you say, Lollapalooza <laughs> is coming to India, uh, I think in February, and uh, the headliners are supposed to be Pearl Jam and Camila Cabello. Uh, Crazy. I think they are among the other headliners. 
but uh so yeah are you is that i, I know uh, like our some of our friends have already like invested into this even though some time ago there was a whole mess with the ticketing system N- now that you know the pearl jam news does that change your mind about uh, potentially wanting I, to go for i this? think it does like initially i thought like um the effort it requires uh, all of that i i just wanted to wait and see like what's going to be on their uh, hmm. you know like who's who's going to be on the lineup and yeah a name like pearl jam again like it's it's one of those dreams like you know those uh, boxes you want to tick and and you've hmm. thought of many many times you you you've dreamt of being part of an audience where you get to hear these uh, folks on stage and pearl jam definitely is one of those big bands and uh, yeah so, i i'd be very very according to <laughs> uh the story i'm reading right now on uh, on hindustan times it was just two days ago uh the other bands mm-hmm. i can't believe this didn't make the headline actually <laughs> pearl jam and camila cabello was the headline the other bands are red hot chili peppers and uh, imagine oh, shoot. Dragons. yeah imagine dragons like whatever i'm not a big fan but rhcp yeah. rhcp my word be, that's a that's a huge band that's one of the biggest bands of all time so that's wow. pretty crazy that uh yeah if they're able to bring all that's of these that's crazy that's that's Yeah, that 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 hasn't hit the news yet. Like it's Who, whoever is the editor of this. It's yeah. Got, <laughs> they, they did not plan this. I don't think they understand what they were actually put, uh, reporting the news on. Very absurd. Like you know, uh, Camila Cabello. Like yeah, maybe they just want teenagers to go and uh, you know not not anyone else to attend the fest. But you know the interesting thing is like what what's it gonna do to our home growing festivals? uh within the country like we can talk about somebody that we know very personally who mm-hmm. would have uh, religiously like gone to nh7 and you've done that i've i've yes. heard like you know you've yeah. been going for the last few years uh, uh, whenever you had an opportunity i, I, and, I just um, went to for one nh7 yeah so you know our very close friend you know mm-hmm. he's he's kind of um, gone ahead and booked his ticket for lola palaza and lala palaza uh, <laughs> and and uh, and so that's it like you know for him it's like once a year i'm going to go for one music festival and it's going to be this one and of course this is going to bring a lot of heavyweights uh, all these international acts to india what's yeah. it going to do to our indian scene like um, hopefully it'll, it'll help us but but you know like what happens to and its sevens and other festivals like zero and all of them i mean i'm really hoping that Okay, so the, the international acts are, of course, are the ones that are gonna surge up ticket sales and bring the crowd and make the big headline news. But I'm really hoping that like they involve a lot of local act, local bands, sort of like help them raise. Mm. So if Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing, hopefully like the opening act or the act right before them is a uh, is an Indian act that the Indian scene people in the Indian scene know. Like say, imagine they get local train, you know, or imagine if they get. Mm. Um, you know when chai meets toast for for one of these as a opening act yeah. because there are bands like these which are big in india but but if they are sharing stage with people like pearl jam people like rhcp that's huge absolutely them, you know and as for the indian festivals itself yeah it, it's the, the the competition is going to be high now you know <laughs> and and absolutely. I, i hope i hope it raises everyone's level of um, of like the the acts they're able to sort of attract Yeah, new, new, so much, so much happening in India now. Um, yeah. So we should talk about you know we're talking about Indian acts and um, uh, the song I chose for the month is by right. I, I would assume one of the most talented Indian musicians alive. 
I would say like uh, right. Warren Mendoza. He goes by Black Shad Blues, one of the best Indian guitarists. You know, he his he sounds like everything from, you know, his sometimes his music sounds like it's Pink Floyd inspired. Sometimes it sounds like it's Jimi Hendrix inspired. It's like a mix of so mm. many different things, right? Um, yeah. So and I, yet being himself, like you know, just just having his own touch on how um, intricate he is, like how you can you can you can tell how. you know thoughtful he is in the way he constructs his songs um so yeah it's not just uh, copying all the influences he's had but finding his own uh, tone and 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 the way he plays um that's incredible yeah so i interviewed him for a story uh, a few months ago and actually part of the interview was i reviewed his album now this album is a bit old now it's about 10 11 months old hindsight is 2020 um mm. but i i really enjoyed it and uh it was kind of like fun to sort of pick his brain and learn more about his style of music he's released a live album since um mm. i mean just a little bit of background of course like you would know a lot more he he was like kind of part of that iconic band zero you know 20 years ago uh and ever since then as black chat blues he's been uh at just making every few years he's going to put out just a great new blues album um This one, the song I chose, it's called Eleven. Uh, it it right. begins with the sample voice of his daughter, and it breaks into yeah. like this very seductive, like solo guitar solo. Uh, this guitar solo, which is like I feel like it was a trademark sound. Now you know you hear those first few notes, and it feels like okay, we are being taken into somebody who's like the master of his craft, right? Um, yeah. Uh, like it just had this very unearthly, you know, ethereal, uh, like David Gilmour sort of. feel to it i i felt yeah one of the reasons why i like the song so much um and and even though it's old i wanted to sort of feature it for today's conversation so, uh, mm-hmm. so somebody like you who's like a student of um guitar music in india and abroad like uh i would love to know from you like h- how does somebody like him g- gather the inspirations and you know output them in the way he would have done because obviously growing up in india it's it's not the same environment you get growing up you know in places which have the culture of blues right so just to be very honest uh, karan like you know guys like warren uh, are, are like um, pillars of uh, our scene that we look up to we musicians like me and many others uh, are, we we just don't have that uh, you know uh, the same amount of uh, experience or intellect to kind of dissect um what he produces we were actually literally taking inspiration and are in awe at what he produces like now and and everything that we hear is just oh my gosh you can do that like this is incredible like you know if you hear something like uh, how, like like you said like the opening of the song um you know you hear the daughter's voice and then the guitar comes in and immediately like who else would play guitar whose tone would sound like this of course this is going to be Warren from you know from the the black the black stride blues like you know he's he's the guy who's who's doing it so yeah like uh uh to be honest like i i won't be able to like break it down uh i'm i'm actually on the other side i'm 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 a student mm-hmm. and looking at all of this and saying like hey man this this is like a book that i'm going to read again and again and again and, and try to learn whatever i can and still won't make it's it's like uh, i i just read uh what's it called the the you know the stephen hawking's book the um, that time something about time a brief history of time a brief history of time 
and it's my second attempt and i'm i'm slowly understanding things and it's it's the same way you know you you pick this album and you're like gosh have i learned anything or am i still clueless and 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 so that's where you're left like you you feel like man i'm i'm just so lame <laughs> i need to really do a lot more uh, but but you know we're talking about warren here so so yeah i mean that's, that's my honest way. opinion <laughs> that's that's a beautiful way to um, to 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 break down the song the fact that it's it's almost as mystifying but satisfying as reading a great book on physics you know and like and, and, yeah. and in a weird way <laughs> music can sometimes make you feel like mind blown in that way too yeah uh, yeah well adi thanks for sharing your thoughts here's the song of the month it's called 11 by blackstrat blues
So Samir Kumar joins us from New York City. And uh, Samir recently watched uh, Indian Predator, The Butcher of Delhi on Netflix, which is a show that I think he and I both watch independently. And uh, we happen to both decide that this is something worth talking about, something worth exploring in, in greater detail. So before we talk about the show itself, Samir, you're really into true crime, right? Like, what made you watch Indian Predator? What made you choose this show? Yeah, I'm. I am a pretty like dyed-in-the-wool true crime fanatic of this latest wave in the U.S. So starting like six years ago, there was this podcast called Serial, and it just spawned this whole movement. And I'm I, unfortunately I'm I'm all the way into it. I've got all these podcasts and all the Netflix shows, Making a Murderer, all that stuff. I just, you know, can't get enough of it. But it, it's all U.S.-based, mm. apart from this one uh, Australian guy, this podcast called Case File, shout out. It's okay. Steve Martin likes it, too. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's, it's just very dry, fairly mm. suspenseful, but very real life, you know, can get a little gruesome, you know, get the real 911 audio, all that stuff. But it's, for the most part, Western world, pretty American what are the problems with the American justice system, you know, in specific counties? And I see this pop up in on Netflix and I was like, wait a minute. I I can't believe this, you know, is this really happening in India too? Let's see what's up. And and, and I assume it shows up in your algorithm because you watch other Indian um whatever, you watch other Indian content. Yeah. So like they, they assume that okay, this is this is Samir's you're you're in the Venn diagram of true crime in India. Exactly. So you are the person to target for this, right? Yeah, so, in, in retrospect, that was not surprising. I haven't come across any such case in last 23 years. Tokri bandi hui thi. Thoda sa usne khol ke dekha to usme dead ho gayi thi. Aur uski gardan khati hui thi. Ek baar fir dead body mili. Iske baad ye pata laga ki koi aisa saks hai jo is tarike se serial killing kar raha hai. Dead body ke saath ek chitti mili. This obviously houses. Uh, this isn't the the first major one. A year ago, there were Netflix also did a House of Secrets, the Purari deaths, and another true crime series based uh, in Delhi about you know a real crime that happened in Delhi. And uh, before that, they, they did a fictionalized account of the really the horrific Delhi rape case that happened about ten years ago, which was called Delhi Crime. So, you know. And I, I have lived in Delhi. I've called that city a home for a long time before. And it's it's funny how it, it, it's, it kind of lends itself so easily to these stories of pure abject horror and brutality. Uh, and and not, just, not, not just the fact that it lends itself to those stories, but we as Indians are like ready to lap it up. They're like, yes, give us more of the worst about us. You know, and so uh, House of Secrets was pretty decent. I liked it. Uh, Indian Predator, not as much. And uh, <laughs> let's let's break down why this series was directed by Aisha Sood, uh, just uh, released a few months ago. It's a three, just a three-episode true crime documentary series like uh, House of Secrets. Um, uh, you know, it sort of follows this uh, this serial killer in New Delhi from two thousand six. Well, I guess his first crime was a lot long before that, but the first discovered crime, the ball gets rolling in two thousand six. When the killer himself calls the Delhi police, uh, telling them that he left dead body in a tokri in a small basket outside Delhi's what should be one of the most secure places in Delhi, Tihar Jail. He he, he left a basket. I can see you smiling. So, 
this is the irony of this show like uh, and this is where like let us get into it straight away uh, it is horrific uh, the actual facts of what happens of what happened in real life by the serial killer is horrific but the way this series almost showed uh, not just the not just the criminal but more than the criminal the actual police and the authorities in india was just a case of pure like it almost seemed like parody to me like is this really happening so half the time i was amused by the reaction of the police and the other half by the depiction of the police by the show um uh, yeah why don't you give me your your you know your sort of first reactions about this was at what point did you realize that that this isn't going to be the true crime that you expected it to be well unfortunately uh you you know i i mean i'm i'm new york based i'm uh indian american but i i have some familiarity with india in general mm-hmm. and how the authorities operate and my presumption when applying that uh prior to a horrific a serial killing was that this would be pretty interesting to see if they would rise to the occasion or not and probably within the first like 5 minutes it was clear that they were not going to rise to the occasion and it was unfortunately you know yeah similarly like amusing despite the ho- i mean they lead with just an absolutely horrific you know image of a body part of a body being dropped in front of a jail and yeah. unfortunately my attention was fixated on how the local authorities were reacting to that and the way they even tried to explain it within the context of the documentary so yeah in in that way i mean it's it anyone who's familiar with the indian police or you know the authorities in general would not be surprised by that how they handled this it would it was slightly i mean i don't know if it was disappointing but it was certainly it was remarkable um, and, and and i mean that's why like i want to repeat the disclaimer going forward that it's not what we, obviously we, we didn't find the horrors amusing we found the depiction of the response to these horrors amusing which like i, I guess it's it, it it's partly the fault of the the show itself in 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 what it weighted and and of course you know the fact that he could just call the police and say there's a body outside tihar jail is a torso and not only that these are spoilers all of this happens within the first um, 15 minutes really yeah he himself shows up to help them cut open a body and they, and they don't know who this guy is um i have to say like i'm I, I, by by like very early in the show because you know the the, the primary protagonist of this sh- series uh are the delhi police they're talking to like the top cops from 15 years ago and as i i guess i should add like quotation marks around the, the phrase top cops um and and so of course they are the heroes of this of their own story they are telling us how this top crack team cracked this case right um and and they are really inept at cracking this case but 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 the irony is that at the same time they are being shown hero- heroically and i really felt that i'm kind of tired of this whole like uh you know uh the propaganda i guess that's the phrase in america yeah especially of the delhi police of what they're doing uh the delhi crimes series did the same thing this series is doing the same thing the delhi police in real life are, are are basically committing atrocities against the citizens all the damn time and a major part of this the, the show major part of the reason that this particular serial killer became a serial killer uh chandrakant his name was is because of 
being falsely accused of certain things and being tortured in jail by by uh, somebody who was a, a jail guard i mean the reason he uh, but perhaps we shouldn't tell why he was leaving the bodies on tihar jail but yeah. it's kind of tied to this right um yeah it's uh, from your opinion like i what okay let, let's start with the positives yeah for, for you what were the highlights of of the series of this three episodes series? like like what were the moments where you like you know what that's something we can build upon we can make more out of this i guess just outlining it my i i was following sort of the case history of the guy the, mm-hmm. the actual perpetrator and that was the most fascinating you know as it un- unfolds you know by and large in the second and third episodes um you know this is you know hopefully not a huge spoiler it's not really a suspense driven documentary you, you know, know what let's give the spoilers because they catch him by the end of the first yeah it, it, that's not and He's that's not okay cuz cuz they yeah. caught him we're not watching it for the who done it we're yes. watching it for like why did why, he do it why did he yeah. do it and and i and i guess that was sort of a fault of the makers i i, I wish they had held upon the who done it for at least one more episode just so like i cared more about seeing this like like you know when you build it up and you say like who is this guy behind the mask blah blah we are so yeah. invested and and we weren't yeah. really because we got the answer pretty early yeah and it's an interesting thing with the format i mean this is something i'm always going to sort of refer back to the american true crime you know media and the, you know there's a mix of who done it and then when it's not a who done it when it's a psychological exploration like this appeared to be they usually come right out with it So this one you have the whole first episode where they're you know we are sitting here thinking okay well they caught this guy is there something that's going to happen here like is he going to not really be the guy or are they going to not be able to even book him or something like that because sometimes that happens you know you catch the guy he gives a, a confession and it's invisible or something and it's that's exciting in itself or if he or if he's planted like you see this in in Hollywood movies a lot if he's planted a third thing Yes. And now they have to solve. Exactly. Like, I I really wish this was more zodiac murder because yeah. he was he was writing letters, he was leaving clues and he was kind of hilarious about it. He was calling himself their chacha and their damad and their uncle. Like he one of the highlights was how insulting he was to Delhi police. I remember saying Oh yeah, he was he was a the perfect foil. He was a, I mean he that's the thing he was like a I mean he was so arrogant and they did not to their credit they did not really gloss over that. They showed the clips of him speaking outside after he was booked or something, you know, just talking down to them. They they made it clear, you know, why he was doing this, what his conversations were, just blatantly disrespectful. At the same time, um you know, most of the story was told through the official angle. Uh you know, the voices were Delhi police and profilers i guess of this guy who probably were in the same camp as the delhi police i i don't think there was anyone in the entire documentary who said this is this was gone about in a poor, bad way or you know this was the interpretation that was not good and you do get that sometimes where it says you know this is a complicated story this guy is you know not so bad what you did get what i also liked was in the second and third episode exploring his his background uh testimonials from you know folks in his village and those who had sort of known him and victims even um and you know it, it may have been too much to ask to get more sources 
you know, there were a rotating stable of maybe like eight people who spoke in the entire documentary, and that's police, profilers, and villagers. But at the same time, you got to see, okay, this is where he comes from. This is the the psychological profile was was suggested that, and every time it got into that in a serious way, I was gripped. So the, I mean, any time getting into the mind of a serial killer in any context is fascinating, and they could have just stuck with that formula instead of you know. And this is something I think um, maybe you can relate to. You know, the first episode or two, uh, you're you're following almost beat by beat the pursuit of the guy, and not only is it you know, an unsatisfying whodunit, it's sort of, you're put in the point of view of the Delhi police and saying, okay, well, you know, there are heroes, they're going to solve this. And frankly, you know, they're not solving it. You know, they're just, they're following just anything he gives them. In fact, it was pretty stunning that they caught him from my point of view. I mean, and, and yours as well, perhaps. That that would be a serious spoiler. But what well, 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 both sides are a bit, because... He he felt pretty arrogant that they won't catch him. Like, mm. he was, but he's going to see the doctor and is in public a lot, and people know about him. So it's not yeah. like he's he's hiding. Right. And then they basically did the bare minimum of police police work, where they were finally given three days to catch this guy. And somehow they get together this crack team of again people who were yeah. not that good at it, at their job. And finally. One of my favorite scenes, not because it's good, but because of the par- the, the, the parody aspect of it, they're, they're looking for somebody with a, with a motorized rickshaw. Yeah. And uh, a, a guy is on the phone and he he calls the superintendent and says like, hey, I just saw this motorized rickshaw. I found it. It's right here in front of me. I don't know. I, I've been looking everywhere, but it's been right here the whole time. What should I do now? <laughs> and, the, and the chief, you know, in, in, his, in his grave wisdom, because of course he's, like, like uh, he's like Yoda right now, telling him the exact path. Why don't you look at the house right next to the rickshaw? And and guess what, guys? That's where they found him because he had parked his rickshaw outside. It's just, you know, the series is filled with moments like these, which are just so where you're just at the precipice of something truly exciting and suspenseful, but is spoiled by the people who are telling the story. You know, uh, similarly, when we are, when they're looking for, they're looking for decapitated heads in the Yamuna River. Yeah. Now, now, as if the Yamuna wasn't like gross enough, like I, as someone who's lived in Delhi, you, you, you cross Yamuna quite a bit to go to Noida. Uh, it's disgusting. It's polluted. It's barely a river anymore. It's more like sewage now, right? There's like, like white smoke frothing on top of some mysterious thing. Now we have to worry about like potential decapitated heads too. Um, and again, the crack team is on this case because they not only do <laughs> their biggest uh, issue during this whole pursuit is the fact that the mosquitoes might bite them, you know. Um, and it's so hot. It's it's. it's I mean, I, I get it. It it sucks being hot and being bitten by mosquitoes in Delhi. But you look, but there there should be a bigger purpose here. You guys are the cops. Uh, finally, he gets the grave. He sees some dogs, and he puts two yeah. and two together. That the dogs may have taken the skulls out of the water. It's just genius. Huh. <laughs> it, it, it's very fun. I mean, it, it's, I guess, you know, if you're, it, it's slow, you know, maybe some people might, you know, not hate that, but it is, it is so obvious that, you know, it's almost like their children are like child detectives on the case. Like they'll only respond to the most obvious signals. That's actually a great idea. 
like if this was fictionalized where like the adults didn't take it seriously but they were like 14 year olds on the case yeah not quite hardy boys younger than hardy boys like you get yeah. pre teens yeah. maybe pre teens on on the, like the kids of stranger things are on the case exactly and, and they Season are doing one. the same this would be gripping and and yeah. and and the and the comedy will actually be comedic you know and the horror will actually feel horrific and um, they might be heroic even you know yes kids going out in the yamuna like getting bitten by mosquitoes looking for severed heads i mean come on that's that's actually compelling that's a story that's true and i, I mean which th- that great idea brings me to the fact that like i i really wish this would have been dealt with much better if this was fictionalized because yeah. i feel choosing the path they took of making a documentary uh, to get access to whatever they needed to get access to the camera uh, to get access to all the reporting to get access to like the 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 cops who were actually on the scene you know talking about the experience of finding this this head this like half eaten yeah. head um you know th- 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 that those are incredible voices telling us these stories but to have those voices on board you have to make them into heroes you know otherwise right. they won't do it yeah. A- and i feel that the way they should have gone about it is almost have a neutral you know maybe like a journalist i i felt that the one the the one voice that was sort of decent in telling the story was that legal journalist there was a courtroom journalist who yes. who was actually the only one i felt who criticized the police's response to yeah. this whole uh, situation um maybe tell a story from somebody like that person's perspective of like i'm trying to get the bottom of the case and because i i found the fact that i was not not sympathizing with the murderer but empathizing with him like i shouldn't have been i should have been yeah. afraid of him i should have been angry at him you know Um, you're talking just about the storytelling like the, the storytelling fact storytelling, yeah the, the story was told in a way that i found myself getting angry at the police instead of angry at the true criminal here you know yeah um, and it's because they, they they tried too much to promote their their heroism right um so I, speaking of i i dropped in a little trickle there the camera the, the yes i was going to yeah. the photographs take me through your mind as, as you are we reveal to these photos no one has seen before Yeah, I mean, and now we're just going into the whole thing. So, you know, they find uh, you know, they they go to his house in the village and they raid it and they find the, you know, photos and he is you know, obviously he they found lots of possessions that that no no one would see and and that no one's access before, but the actual camera of a serial killer after, you know, they've discussed they've actually gone by this point into and this is this is also positive like looking at his actual mo you know they have a lot of sort of cases that they briefly go through of his associates and what led him to actually commit murder in each case and you know it's frightening and you really like have to stop and think about it and they are pretty vivid in how they describe it you know you're talking about relatives of victims and stuff and they'll give a testimonial as to like how this actually happened and it's like horrifying and, and then they say and we found his camera and here are some never before seen photos and their polaroids or something <laughs> the first one i this is just i mean you wonder the further three photos and the first one is a nondescript possibly like accidental shot of the ceiling fan and the ceiling in the dark like if you're trying out your camera for the first time and you look in the lens and you It's accidentally click it that was what they opened with it incredible Now here's my other so th- it wasn't a polaroid it was an old fashioned like film camera mm. right that means those films had to be developed somewhere yeah so he went to a store 
with yeah. those photos of where where he has the men tied up in his like a, a house of horrors really yeah to be fair there were there was one good picture you know in that yeah. sense and and and, and he, the fact that the the person developed the photo is probably also some delhi uncle who was like ha ah, whatever like yeah. you're torturing somebody just give me my money and like leave you know it's yeah i should not have been distractedly thinking about this stuff <laughs> but i yeah. was watching all this documentary <laughs> right, right when the psychological you know tension was at its peak when you're really trying to get into the mind of the killer i mean this gets to something i you know not necessarily a positive but i you know i'm watching this naively i don't know about the motivations of the director or the the staff or anything like that and i wouldn't venture to say this was black and white but it's not too far i mean especially with the netflix series with the audience it brings in to think that it was intentional to bring the incompetence of the delhi police or the incompetence of the authorities or the incompetence of the system to light because my thought i mean right away and you you alluded to this earlier there was a point at which the police had 3 days to solve the crime and why was that because bureaucracy there's so many cases that fall in their lap and at some point you know whoever was in charge said you know honestly you know you shouldn't be chasing this forever you know we've got other things to do i'll give you 3 days otherwise you'll we'll just drop it and that and you see there's commonalities even in the american system sometimes i mean it, they're much more well resourced resourced and um there are fewer cases overall but that whole attitude of like you can absolutely imagine like the chief of you know the bureau being like come on you know whatever like how bad could it really be we've got business to take care of and that is an attitude i'm sure that lots of people want to see changed and the the general apathy the general incompetence you know you'd want to see the police reform in some way or at least take their you know take their job seriously in 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 a different sort of way and just putting a fine point on it hammering it home you know there's this absolutely horrific guy and he slipped through the cracks at point a point b point c right literally up to the authorities themselves yeah um i thought you know one of the most galling slash morbidly entertaining aspects was um when the guy uh he calls uh the constable in the jail who used to torture him or whatever it was you know there was a a specific figure and he was on the case and they knew okay they had letters from him and they knew there's something related to this guy so this chandrakant calls him and he picks up you know the some underling picks up and says oh you know constable he wants to talk to you you know you're thinking this is the guy you know maybe i'll keep him on the line you know let's 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 figure out what's going on it's been interlocutor and he just right away goes who is this are you the murderer how could you do this Do you know who you're talking to? How could you do this to me? And I was just the most hilarious thing. It was like, okay, boom! You just hit the nail on the head with the id of all of this stuff. And it was great in a way because, like, I watched it not by myself. I watched it with the uh, you know some some American folks who had no idea about how India works or any of this stuff. And I was you know you're able to say that's it. You know. that's a core thing keep that in mind if you go there that's the attitude there's there's certain weaknesses there's certain things you just would not quite see on the nose in other places and the the, the, the lecture 
the yeah. the, sco- the scolding is almost as important as the actual cracking the case, right? Exactly. He well, he had to scold the criminal. He could have been just vanished. You know that could have been his only chance to catch him. Or or, or like maybe keep him on the line. Yes. Keep him talking because obviously, like like a lot of serial killers, and this is one of the things I found interesting. Like a lot of serial killers anywhere in the world. Yeah. I, I haven't seen as much true crime, but somewhat familiar. Uh, they they want to be found. They yeah. are they are desperate for their personality to shine. You know, and so was he. He was sending letters. He was. I mean, if he wasn't daring them insulting them leaving his baskets outside the jail yeah they they would have never found this because as it's told us numerous times in the documentary they are a, a huge number of dead bodies that are just found and forgotten in delhi every year and yeah. and and so were the previous ones he had committed so his previous murders it was only when he decided like yo I'm I'm gonna straight up put this out in the <laughs> outside the jail yeah. that they actually reacted. Um, Samir, uh, we're running out of time, but I, I want to know uh, if if you could, if you were in the in the writing staff of this of this show, uh, yeah. where and how would you like to improve upon this upon this particular story? Yeah, um, and I was I was get, alluding to this earlier, but. Um, in retrospect, you know, there are a lot of opportunities with this particular story. And the fact that you have so much primary information, the fact that it was so public, there are two angles that I would probably want to play up. One is minimize the whodunit, minimize the chase of him, you know, catch him right up front. Okay. Just zero right in on the investigation. You know, how did they figure out who this guy was once they once they got him? Um, you know, who are they talking to? What are their perspectives? There was a psychological profiler, you know, who oh, went the auntie, in, yes. the auntie yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who examined his letters and parsed the language very carefully. To and like, him. and like every other Indian story, it's always the mother's fault. Yes. It's always the mother's fault. She read between the lines and found that, you know, there was no love for the mother. There was no respect for the mother. And that must have been at the core of all this. Um, in any case, not a bad starting point. Fine, absolutely. But delving a little bit more into that, what what's also compelling is, you know, he had folks in his village who, you know, they're going about their lives. They don't, they don't necessarily say, oh, what a monster. They say, well, you know, this is maybe, we could see how this might happen. And that is suggestive. There are two things that are just suggestive of something very compelling. One, from the Delhi side, that... This could have been dropped so easily. The impression, as you may already have, is this is happening all the time in like, you know, unknown volume in untold horrors are occurring. And there's just no way they're so far away from being able to catch what's actually happening. And I think that's also captured in some part by um, the film industry in India. You know, at least I don't know about Bollywood itself, but outside in the South Indian films and things like that, the psychological thrillers are um, popping up more and more where you've got like absolutely, you know, maniacs and you can sort of see, okay, this must be happening quite a lot, you know, mild mannered people going insane and they're evading capture for a long time. And then the other side of it is, you know, what is producing that from the society and the fact that this is happening, the fact that this might be tolerated, you know, like you, like you say, how many people not just the film developer, because that's apathy. I think everyone is pretty much aware of that. Anyone, you know, who knows India, but the folks in the village who say, okay, well, we heard about our peer 
or our, you know, our cousin or whatever doing this. But, you know, um, you know, he had a weird family, you know, his mom wasn't great. So what do you expect that, you know, hammer that home, go first episode, get get rid of the the facts and go in and say, what is wrong with the society at each level? You know, village, town, authorities, and then make a statement. I think that is especially as a documentary, you mm -hmm. have the opportunity to then talk to a number of real people. And I changed the beats that way. And then maybe, you know, you don't know what pressures they were under for release time, but maybe get a few more sources in there to talk. Um, and and if it's not that, then, you know, it's like what you said, then you can do a lot with a fictionalized account. They try. I mean, they did go back to the villages, spoke to a bunch of people. And I feel when they finally got something around the pulse of some sort of humanity, yeah. was when they interviewed the, one of the victim's wife and kid. And like they say that they rightfully so save that till near the very end. Um, and I felt finally, I felt like a real emotional connection to this story because we're finally realizing that this, this isn't just some like cat and mouse game of like a, a guy insulting and mocking the police and the police being inept at catching him. It's, this is real victims and these are, this is real trauma and real tragedy. And yeah. I felt most of the series really missed that uh, to, to, to getting that emotion across, right? Um, so, so I would like, th that's something, another thing that I would want them to focus on. Uh, yeah. Samir. Just wait, can... just a quick closing yeah. thought yes. on that. And, and this is something that uh, a lot of like American or Western true crime misses that the Indian angle can really like provide, which mm -hmm. is there's so much, I mean, the victims are not even, you know, they're not far from middle class. These are people, you know, in a world where everyone is just struggling to get by scraping to get by desperate you know you've one income earner and they're barely making subsistence and that guy the head of the family is the one getting killed yeah and that level of desperation that level that kind of tragedy is extreme i mean that's i'm not used to that and you know you're usually seeing at least people you know maybe a kid or an old person but they're well off in the end and mm -hmm. they lived a full life and they, they were not struggling to get by um and so that's just something that, you know, maybe for a global audience could be emphasized. But Samir, I've taken enough of time. Next time you're in Delhi, we're definitely taking a trip down to the Yamuna. That's, yeah. that, that, that's how we're spending that weekend. All right. Take care, man. All right. All right. Take care. A big thank you to all the guests for joining us today. And of course, to all the listeners who have tuned in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please check us out on thechakkar.com and we are on Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter at thechakkar. Until next time, chakkar ghumte raho.